Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord, vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. I don't know if you ever think about it, but reset is kind of everywhere. It's on your power outlets, it's in your car. You know, your phone has a step to reset. And by definition, really, we, we all uh, mess the system up. We download the wrong files, we go to the wrong places, and we need a reset. Because at the heart of it for all of us is the truth that we're all putting our faith in something, in someone, to satisfy us. Most of the time, we're putting our faith in ourselves. But you see, Jesus wants to reset your faith. rebooted my iPad, the thing was working fast. And it, I guess, had cleared out a bunch of junk that I didn't even know was there. We have a lot of reset opportunities around us in our very technological world. But the idea behind this series that we're going to be journeying towards the God story together and asking God to reset our lives together is that God wants to reset our lives back to a place, getting rid of some junk. He wants to reset our lives so that our lives are functioning in the most optimal way they can. You remember what Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's at the heart of this series that we're going to be talking about, a reset of our souls, and today specifically, a reset of our faith and of our heart. In my notes, I I tried to write down a few words that kind of remind me of what a reset is. A reset, I wrote down, is setting something back to its original condition. A reset is re-establishing things the way they ought to be. Sometimes that might mean for you in this series, it is rearranging maybe your priorities or maybe your thought life. Sometimes it means re-engaging where you might have kind of gone to sleep in some areas, you know, or, or not paid attention to some areas. Resetting might mean all of those things. It might mean even, I wrote in these capital words, capital letters, it might mean retuning your life. Not long ago, I had a, um, we have a couple of pianos in my house, and I had a piano tuner come over to my house. And one of the things I learned was that piano tuner started in the very middle of the keyboard. He's, anybody know what the very middle of the keyboard is? We call it middle, middle C, right? I swear he hit that middle C about 400 times. And what, he, what I realized was, in order to tune my piano, he had to get C back to C. Because over time, C had shifted. You know, it wasn't really a true C anymore. And then here's the cool thing. Once he got C right, he could put everything else in its order. You know what I mean? That's part of the reason we're going to spend four weeks talking about resetting, because whatever God might want to reset in your life today, middle C, might mean that something else is needing to be reset in the next few weeks ago. that make any sense? So we're talking about retuning, re-engaging, reorganizing, reprioritizing. Re- we're talking about resetting our lives. Now, God didn't make us with a little power button, didn't he? Don't you wish it was that easy? Just going, you know, and all of a sudden life works more optimally. But it really 
it really can happen the exact same way. So what does that mean for us? Well, much like a smartphone or an iPad, it means that your marriage can be reset. It means instead of fussing and fighting and and having your way and their way, and instead of working like the world would say your marriage ought to work, what would it look like for you right here at the very beginning of 2017 saying, God, we need a reset in our marriage? You know, my wife and I love to go back and watch our wedding on video. You know what I mean? Anybody else do that? It takes us back to the emotions. It takes us back to that day where we made our covenant one to another. It's a great way of resetting your marriage. God might want to reset your marriage. Maybe God wants to reset a relationship. Maybe God wants to reset your thought life. Maybe you, are, maybe you need a reset in your whole family. You know, sometimes when teams don't work optimally, you know what they need? They need a reset. They need to get rid of their junk and go back and learn how to function as a team. And sometimes our families are like that. And your family might need a reset. So uh, I, I even like to think of it this way. How about, I don't know whether you think this way. Every new year, I always think about my health. I think about my physical health, I think about my weight, my strength, all that kind of stuff, my BMI, my body mass index, and I always think to myself, I need a reset at the start of this brand new year, right? And by the way, some of you guys might need to say, you know what, I need a reset when it comes to my health. So here's what I want you to understand. This series is going to be powerful if you really avail yourself to how God would want to come in and reset things, reorder, reestablish, retune things in your life. There could be great power that flows out of our lives being reset. Now, I want to mention a couple of things real quickly. Here's where we're going to go. I like to always tell people where our series is headed, so I'm going to tell you where it's going. Today, we're going to talk about resetting your faith. We're going to talk about your heart. Basically, we're talking about your relationship with God and and lots more. And whatever the Holy Spirit might bring to your mind about some things that need to be reset in your faith or in your heart. That's where we're going to start today. The second place we're going to go next weekend is we're going to talk about resetting our mind. You know, our mind has a lot to do with how we think and how we operate. So we're going to be saying, God, how can you reset the way I think, the way I operate, the way my mind leads me? And we're going to talk about that in week number two. Week number three, we're going to talk about resetting our voice, okay? Resetting our voice. And what do you mean by that, Stephen? Sometimes we need to reset kind of how we talk to people, Not only that, not only how we talk to people, but how we talk about God to people. So we're going to talk about what it would look like for you to reset your witness, to reset your mouthpiece, to reset your voice to the world where you are. And then finally, week number four, we're going to talk about resetting our hands. You know, we're talking about resetting our action, the things we do, maybe, the things we don't do. What would it look like to reset our hands? And on that particular Sunday, as we close out the series, we're going to have a cool ministry fair here in our church for you to see all the different ministries that go on in our church. So that's kind of a a, a preview of the series. Now, here's another cool thing. You see that little yellow piece of paper? Grab that real quickly. Today, we put a little yellow piece of paper. Next week, it will change to a different color. The next week, it will change to a different color. Now, here's what what we're going to do with this. This This little sheet of paper is for you. This little sheet of paper is your way of praying, okay? Now, everybody's paper says the exact same thing. Jesus, will you reset my... And then we're going to ask God to tell us what he wants and he needs to reset in our lives. At the very end of every worship service, we have a a little prayer wall that we're going to kind of bring right up here to the very front. And on that prayer wall that will say reset, we are going to... We're going to invite you in your chairs to write down whatever you're asking God to reset in your life, and together we're going to come and we're going to put our prayers 
on and in this prayer wall. We're going to do that every week. Every week. We're going to invite you to pray prayer. Now, here's the cool thing. is what I'm asking you to think about. We're one of those note-taking churches, right? So you have an outline in front of you, and hopefully you'll have your Bible or your iPad there, and I invite you every week to grab a pen, right, and to take notes. I'm going to be inviting you to underline some things and circle some things and fill in some blanks. But this right here may be the most important thing for you to write on during this series. So we might be five minutes into the message, (laughs) or by the way, I might be in the introduction, which I'm in right now, right? And God might already be saying to you, hey, you know this is something I want to get right in your life. And so just start, if God brings it to your mind, and if it's something that you know that needs to be reordered, reestablished, retuned, reset in your life, this is your way of praying that, okay? And so you might write one thing on here. You might write, Jesus, will you reset my thoughts? Or you might write, Jesus, will you reset my priorities, or Jesus, will you reset my incessant need to control my spouse? I don't know what you'll write on it, okay? But you can just write your stuff on there. And then when it's all done, here's the cool thing. Together, we're just going to we're just take these little things, we're going to roll them up, and together we're just going to come up here and pray those prayers, and we're going to insert those prayers into this prayer wall. And we're going to ask God to reset these things in our life. Does that make sense? I'm using my paper, I ain't putting it there yet. All right, so, um, so reset, that's what we're talking about. Now, uh, last thing before we dive in our opening scripture of the day, I want to ask God to speak to us today. I don't know what God would want to reset and reorder and reestablish and retune in your life, I don't know that. And I think it's probably different for every person in this room. But I do believe that in the same way Jesus taught on the seashore of Galilee in the same way that Jesus was, would teach on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem, I still believe Jesus does that today. And I believe Jesus will put on your mind. He will quicken your heart. He will whisper into your ear. He will tap on your shoulder. And he will say, here's where it is for you. And, and so I just want to begin today with a prayer of openness. Would you be open to listen to what God would reveal to you that might be some gunk and junk and stuff that's it's not helping you, helping your life be the abundant life, not helping you live the optimal life, and that you would say, God, I need you to touch this, reset this. Would you do that? Let's pray together, just that prayer of openness. Follow the next few minutes as we turn to your word. We believe your word is life and truth, and the Bible tells us it can go way past just our ears and our minds. It can go way even past our, our, our soul. It can go into the core, the deepest places of who we are. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, with a microscope, look into the deep places of us. Reveal those places to us that you really want to reset. Bring them to our minds. Help us to offer those things to you. And we pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I could have called this series uh, Detox or Cleanse. We're calling it Reset, okay? And the opening scripture for Reset, I want to read it to you. Um, It comes uh, from the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 24, and it's actually the entire psalm, but I'm going to read it quick, okay? So if you have your Bibles or your technology device, I invite you to read whatever translation you want to with me. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Psalm chapter 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. Who may ascend... The mountain of the Lord. 
Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. If you have your pen, I just want to invite you to to underline those last three words in that last verse, the Lord Almighty. That literally is the name of God that means he can do anything. Now, you may, you may come up with a, a need of being reset that you think, man, I don't even know that this can be healed or whole. Or, and, and here's what you need to know. The King of glory, the Lord Almighty, can do a reset in your life. Now, somebody would sit back and they would say, Stephen, why is that the opening scripture for this whole series? What's going on here in that, book of, in that, le- in that chapter of Psalms? Gates, doors, be lifted up. What, what, what is that all about? Now, here's what we know. David wrote many Psalms. And when he wrote these psalms, they were a songbook for the Hebrew people. They were a songbook for the Israelites. And on this particular song, Psalm 24, scholars believe that David, David was writing a song that would be used to commemorate the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem. David was going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, put it in the tabernacle. So when you hear those words like, you ancient doors, you, you're, you're, you're getting a picture of what David is putting together as a psalm. It's kind of cool. Incredible psalm where he says, Everything is the Lord's, everything in it. God is all powerful. And he said, Who can ascend the Lord? He's given us this picture of this is a big moment. We're bringing the ark back in, and this is a holy moment. And so, first of all, before we kind of unbreak that and unpack that, let me remind you of what the ark is. You remember the ark? I want to, there's a picture of the ark here. The ark basically was a box. But it was no ordinary box, okay? The Ark of the Covenant, um, I think it was Exodus chapter 13, uh, 31, I have it in my notes here. Exodus chapter 31, God instructed Moses to have an, a box built, an ark built. And now he, he asked Moses to, to put two artisans on the job. This, this box was gold and ornate. This is a picture of what we believe it looks like from the description in the Bible. But what was interesting about this ark is it had some very powerful things in it. Like, for example, the, the, the Ten Commandments were in this ark. Aaron's rod was in this ark. Manna that they had, so that the Israelites could remember that God had fed them, and that was in the ark as well. Now, what was interesting was God's plan was for them to build this ark, and wherever the Israelites went, the ark would go kind of before them, blazing the trail. You remember this, right? If you don't remember anything, you probably remember Indiana Jones, right? But this is the Ark of the Covenant, all right? The Ark of the Covenant. Now, now remember, this scripture, David is finally bringing the Ark back. But I want to focus in on with you from the, on the journey of this Ark. This Ark had been all over the place. The Ark um, was established with Moses out in the wilderness, 
But remember what was happening when the people were out in the wilderness. They had been rescued from Egypt. You remember the whole parting of the Red Sea? Moses had, the Pharaoh had let his people go, right? And, and Moses was out there. But they didn't go straight from Egypt to present-day Israel. They didn't go to the promised land by direct route. If you remember the story, they journeyed, they wandered, they didn't believe, they, they grumbled, and God even kept an entire gen- But here's, he kept an entire generation from going to the promised land. But here's the deal. All along their journey, which was a scenic route, you know, all along their journey, the ark blazed the trail. Now, get this picture. If you don't get anything else about this ark, get two things. God wanted them to have a box to represent two things for them. Number one, his presence. His presence. If they would follow his lead, the ark was to go before them. If, he was, if, they, if, he, if they would follow his lead, they would walk in God's presence. So the ark represented the, the literal presence of the God of the galaxy in the life of these people, these nomadic people journeying towards their promised land. It, it was presence, the presence of God. But the second thing is that the ark represented was provision. Now inside were the, the ten, ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and the man and some other things. It, it, it represented that God will look after them even in the middle of their desert wilderness time. It was God's provision. And here's kind of how God worked. God said, listen, if you revere my presence, if you do what I say, if you follow me, life's Life's going to go the best it can go for you because I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide for you. But should you go a different way, should you not follow after me, should you not trust my provision for your life and trust in your own provision for your life, then life is not going to go well for you. So get now let me fast forward. So David in this psalm, David is saying, after all of that journey, David is saying, wow, the Ark of the Covenant, we're bringing it back to Jerusalem. And so he writes this hymn, and in this hymn, he talks about some amazing, he talks about the power of God, the bigness of God, how God owns everything. And then he asks this question, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? I, I, I'll say it in my terms. Who, who can take this fabulous box that has been the presence of God and has led God's people all over the planet, who is worthy to take this box into the tabernacle in Jerusalem. Who can, who can ascend the mountain of God? Who can do this? And he answers the question. He says, only those with pure hearts, only those who, who will not swear by false idols and have idols in them, only those. He gives us this picture of the people who would seek after God. Only this generation that lives that way are worthy of being able to bring the ark into this place. Is that making sense, guys? So, if you've got a picture of that, I want to take you to uh, a couple of chapters in the Bible. And, and so if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. And I want to dive into one particular narrative story. It's one particular narrative of what happened with this ark, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 4. And I'm not going to read all of it, but while you're in 1 Samuel chapter 4, you might want to, while I'm talking, even look beyond and deeper into four and then maybe into five and six. Because what I'm going to talk about here, because I'm not going to read all the scripture, I'm going to tell you the story of one particular moment with this ark. And I think it relates to us. It can relate to us. So the ark, the ark, it had, it had, it had been with the people from a bondage to a liberation. Now, in this particular moment, the ark is not right there in the peop with the people. They've left it over in a 
in a town called Shiloh. It's not even right there with the people. And they are at war with these people called the Philistines. You remember the Philistines, right? You ever heard about the Philistines, David and Goliath? Seven different times, seven, seven major battles are documented in the Bible of when the Israelites fought with the Philistines. Seven, and, the, and the most famous of them all is David and Goliath's story. There were these people called the Philistines that continually fought against the Israelites. And we're going to read one of those stories in 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 4. And I just want to read you what happened in this particular story because it involves the ark. So the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, And Samuel's word came to all of Israel. Let me pause there for a minute. Samuel was a, going to be a new prophet who would bring the people back to God. The people had gone away from God a little bit. They had raised up, even though God had done phenomenal, they had raised up idols. They were, they were not passionate about the Lord. And God puts a new prophet in place right here at the very beginning of this particular chapter. And Samuel's word, Samuel has just been called to be a to be in ministry, and he's just, gonna, he's just being put in place as a prophet. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines at Aphek. And the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel ask, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? And here came this idea. Listen to the idea. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, real quickly, how many people died in that battle? 4,000 people. Now, I'm going to come down and get really close to you because I really want to, get you, I want to tell you this story because this is an incredible story. 1 Samuel chapter 4, 5, and 6. So the Israelites, uh, they kind of march into battle. Don't forget what I said before. They're not really close to the Lord in their souls. They've got idols. They've got things going on that are not really. But they think that, you know, God's always looked after us before. And so they go at war with the Philistines, and 4,000, they get defeated. They get routed. 4,000 people die. And then when they come back to camp, they all kind of have a little powwow, you know, a little leadership powwow. Hey, 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 let's have a little huddle. And here's the question. Why did God allow us to be defeated? Why? Now, nobody looked at their heart. Nobody looked at what they were doing that was wrong. Nobody at the moment realized that they desperately needed a reset. Somebody else comes up with a great idea, or what seemed like a great idea. <gasps> you know what? Let's go get the ark. If we go get, you remember what God did with that ark? I mean, when God, God did miraculous things for our ancestors with the ark, somebody go get the ark, and if the ark is here, we're going to show up, and we're going to avenge our 4,000 dead brothers out in the field. And that's exactly what happened. They go get the ark. They bring the ark back. And when the, you, you should read it, read it in the Bible. Read it in chapter 4. The Bible says that when the ark came into the town where the Israelites were, they gave a shout. They were like, what? Oh, now, baby. They're going to be hurting tomorrow morning. All right? And it was such a loud shout that they heard it in the other camp, in the Philistines' camp. And the Bible even said the Philistines asked themselves, now, they had just routed these people, killed 4,000, and they're having a party. And they asked themselves, what is happening? And word got to them that the Ark of the Covenant had gotten back, and they were scared. 
they said, what kind of God has come into the Israelites' camp? It news is that it's the same God who, who did all those phenomenal things. And they, the Bible says, I'll put it in Stephen's language, they were sh- the Philistines were shaking in their boots. They were scared. And what did they do in their scared moment? If you read chapter 4, you'll find out they attacked first. Even though they were afraid, they took the battle to Israel. The Bible says, and I don't have this up on the screen for you, I'll just read it straight out of my Bible. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, the Bible says this, uh, verse 8, sorry, verse 8, verse 8, um, woe to us, who will deliver us from, these are the Philistines talking, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods, they are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So, look at that next verse. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent, and the slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of, the, God, the ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Eli was the prophet before Samuel. Now... What happened here? You see, the people of God were treating the ark like it was some genie in a bottle. They were thinking if we just get the ark back, man, we'll dominate because of God's power will automatically be with us. They were assuming God's blessings over their life, not looking at really the, the content of their heart. They were just thinking about who their ancestry was. And if they could get the ark of the covenant back, then we'll be able to defeat the Philistines. But God is not a genie in a bottle, and God will not be mocked. And when the Ark of the Covenant comes back, not 4,000, how many? 30,000 soldiers die. Not only that, the Ark is captured and is taken back to the Philistines. The very presence and the provision of God is gone from them. And now the Ark is in a pagan camp. This is the story of what happened. Now, what's interesting is, i got to tell you what happened while the ark, because the ark was a symbol of God's power, and God cared about that box that he had told them to build. And so what happened was the Philistines took it back to their camp, and they actually put it in their temple. The whole story is right there in your Bible. He put the, they, the Philistines put the ark in their temple, and they had a god called Dagon. That was their god. They had built him a big statue. He was some you know, god of fertility or something. They built this god, the Dagon, and they put the ark of the covenant sitting right in front of it. They closed down the temple at nighttime, and they came back in the morning, and the statue of Dagon had literally fallen down as if Dagon was bowing before the Ark of the Covenants. Right there in your Bible. He's lit. So they picked up, they got a whole bunch of men, they picked up the statue, and they put it back in its place. The next night, they come back the next morning, and they come back, and the statue of Dagon has fallen down right at the foot of the Ark of the Covenant, and this time his head is broken off, his hands are broken off, and his legs are broken off. An artist put it in some rendering here, kind of what it might have looked like as Dagon, this statue to the God, was laying down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Not only that, but when this happened on its second day, another phenomenon started to happen. The people throughout the Philistine camp started getting sores all over their bodies. Like, like almost like leprosy, they started getting sores all over the body, and rats began to overrun their town out of everywhere. 
crazy story, isn't it? The Bible's so cool. It's full of these crazy things, right? So these people get sores, and they're hearing about their God who's fallen down twice at the foot of the Ark of the Covenant. They don't even pick him up the second time. And, and then now they got rats running all over town. You know what they do? They say, get this Ark out of here. <laughs> this thing is causing us some problems. So they take the Ark away, and they put it in a neighboring city. Guess what God does? All of a sudden, those people start breaking out with sores, and rats start going all over the place. The Philistines real quickly figure out, we ain't keeping this thing. We're getting this thing back to the Israelites. Over in chapter 6, you'll read the story about how they not only brought the, brought the Ark, Ark of the Covenant back to the Israelites, they brought an offering, they brought gifts. They said, basically, take this thing from us because it's, it's wreaking havoc on us. Now, what I want to tell you was, remember Samuel became the prophet of Israel. And what needed to happen was not a powwow where they said, hey, why did we lose 4,000 people? And, oh, yeah, let's go get the ark. That's not what really needed to happen. What really needed to happen was that somebody needed to say, hey, what is going on and why is God not with us? Why are we suffering such loss? Why do we not feel God's blessing in our life? And only after they had lost 30,000 did they, they basically have that moment where they ask themselves, something's wrong with us. Something's got to be reordered. Something's got to be retuned. Something's got to be reprioritized. Something's got to be reset. Something's wrong with us. It wasn't the ark. It was us. It was us. And Samuel begins to minister to the people about how they really need to reset their hearts, how they need to drop their gods, how they need to get rid of all that stuff, and how they need to become no longer lukewarm or cold in their faith, but they need to turn desperately back to God and get on fire to Him. Now, here's the question I have for you today. What in the world is the link between that story that I just told you and me? You see, what's interesting about the Israelites is that when God called the Israelites to be His people, at one point they said yes, but somewhere along the way they kind of journeyed away from their yes. And here's what I think you can realize if you read that biblical story. It wasn't as if they come back to God and said, by the way, we had, a, we had a team meeting and we decided that instead of saying yes to your covenantal plan and your leadership over life, instead of you being God and us saying, yes, we will let you lead us and we'll live under your provision, not look after us, instead of all that, we're going to say no, never mind. Never mind, God, we don't want your guidance. We, that didn't happen. The Israelites never came back and said no. They never said, we don't want you to be our leader. We don't want you to be our God. We're going to go our own way. We're going to set up our own. They never said it, no, plainly. You know what they really did? They kind of said, maybe. <laughs> I'd like you over here to be my God, but over here, can I lead me? You know, that's kind of what they did. I'd like for you to look after this. I'd like for you to take care of that. I, and, but over here, I'd really like for me to be able to make these decisions. And I want to trust in these things for myself. Or for, and they, they got into what I call maybe land. Maybe. I'll, I'll let you be my God, but sometimes I want to be my God in some places, if that's okay. Maybe. And you know what? I know that we do this too, right? I mean, I, I dare say there's any of you in this place that would say you've ever just looked at God and said, you know, at one point you said yes, but now I'm saying no, change my mind. No, what we oftentimes do is we find our, our, our yes drifting towards maybes. And so when it comes to you and I, you and, let, let me tell you how this really works. We say yes to God, and then later on down the line, we find ourselves saying, maybe, maybe this, you, yes, over here to this, and maybe I'm looking after myself over here. And then all of a sudden, life gets bad. Tragedy strikes. Bad things happen, you know? 
Oh my gosh, my marriage is falling apart. Oh my gosh, I gotta have, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go bankrupt. Oh, the IRS is after me. And then we start saying, okay, God, now where are you? You know? And we go back to our big yes, and we think the Ark of the Covenant's going to be here. I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be, you know, and, and you know what? God looks at us and says, maybe. Maybe. I mean, you got to get this. There are some people that have bought into a false understanding that just because they have received God's love and His grace and they've taken God up on His offer of covenant, that they're just going to skate through life and now everything's just going to be fine. And if they hit some hard spots, God's just going to put a shield of protection around them and not let them be looked after or whatever. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus said that in every one of our lives, trouble's going to hit. Let's go back to the Israelites. In every one of our lives, we're going to have some battles like the Philistines, every one of them. And I don't know about you, but I know me. I, I want my life. I want my family. I want those that I love the most. I want us to be living in the land of yes, knowing that even though I may experience loss and great sadness and tragedy, God's going to be my God, and I'm following hard and strong after him, and my, my mind is not divided. I'm not a person of duplicity where I've got a lot of yeses, but then some maybes, and let me be God in some places. See, here's the good news of the gospel. God created you. He planned your life. And all of your days, he has loved you more than anyone has ever or ever will love you. And he has offered you his way, his leadership, his life. It comes with a lot of great things. It comes with peace and purpose and hope for the future. It comes with forgiveness and mercy and new every morning. It comes with so many things. Why do we so often say, yes, count me in on that, God? But then on Wednesday or Friday, find ourselves going, I don't know that I can trust you on this. I'm going to look after myself on this, God. I'm going to be the one who provides for this or looks after that. We sometimes begin to exchange our yes for a bunch of maybes. Here's my question for you. You might want to write this down somewhere. So for you, for me, for you though, what does independence from God look like? What does independence from God look like? What are those places in your life where you said, hmm, I don't necessarily want to be dependent on you in this area. I want to look after me. Maybe it's your career. Maybe you're trying to take care of your own career. You're trying to make your own way. You're not really trusting God to look after you in your career. Maybe it's your family or maybe it's a relationship. What are you looking after for yourself and saying, I want some independence here from God. I want to have my own way in looking after my stuff. I want stuff. And I don't know that you want stuff for me, so I'm going to go get my own stuff. You know, I want lots of stuff. I want lots of toys. And so I'm going to, I'm going to be dependent from you in that area. What are the areas in your life would you, where you would say, here's a place I can put my finger on it, where I'm struggling because I'm trying to be independent of God. I'm living in a maybe land, and, and, I, and I haven't really let God be God. I need him to reset that thing. And I need to go back under his dependence and say, God, I'm going to let you look after my family. I'm going to let you look after my future. I'm going to let you look after my job. I'm going to trust in you to do this and this. What, is, what does independence look like for you? Now, David gave us some clues in that book of Psalm, chapter 24. 
He said, based, now by the way, don't forget who David is. David is a dude who, who lived for God and sinned and fell big. Lived for God and sinned and fell big. He was a guy, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. I'll call him for this series a man who was a reset man. I mean, he had to have reset after reset after reset after reset. And at this moment, when David's bringing the ark of, uh, back into Jerusalem, David is asking a big question. He's asking a question in the form of a song, but he's saying, what do we have to look like if we're really going to be able to bring God's presence back into Jerusalem? Who, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can... Who can do this kind of thing? He owns everything. He has everything. Who is worthy to, to stand in his holy place? And his answer is three things. Watch these real quickly. His answer. I want to underline them in, in Psalm chapter 24. His answer is, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So a clean hands and a pure heart does not trust in idols or something else. They trust fully in God. And, and one who does not swear by something that is false, that's the kind of person that, that can actually be worthy to approach God. Such is the generation of those who seek Him and seek your face. So what, what, what I want to share with you in the next couple of minutes, I want to get you, I invite you to get your pen. just want you to fill in some blanks. If you actually have a reset in your life, here is what I think can actually happen for you. Here are the byproducts of a reset in your life. No, so the first one is this, the byproduct, something that flows out of you being reset. Let's just envision for a minute. God pinpoints a place in your life where you need to see his dependence. You need to have your faith and your heart reset. You write it on that paper. You come up here. You bow your knee. You, you put it on that wall, and you ask God to reset. What would it look like? What would flow out of that? First thing, write this one down. Byproducts of a reset heart. Those who re with reset hearts reject impurity. So David would say to you that you must have clean hands and a pure heart. You reject impurity. It's this idea, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, that whoever has a reset heart before God this week is going to live differently. They're not going to watch the same TV shows. They're not going to listen to the same music channels. They're not going to see the things they were doing before or do the things with their hands. They're, they're going to think differently. They're going to have a different level of purity in their life. Now, here's what I want to, I want to mention to you. Listen, guys, we are in the same boat. We live in a media-driven culture. We live in a world of Netflix, right? Hulu, HBO. We live in a world of that. And it is so easy for us to find ourselves being impurified, dirtied up by the junk of the world, the way we think, the things we see. I mean, do you know how many bad things our children see by the time they're 10 years of age? The things they, that we see... And over time, that gunk gets into our system. And we have to have a way to be purified of that stuff. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to forgive us of our junk, to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us. And so David would say one of the byproducts of a person who really has a reset in their life is this week, you're going to want to have more purity in your life. You're going to want to have more holiness. You're going to want to walk closer with God because you've been reset. You've been reset. You want to have a different thought life. You, want to have, you don't want your eyes to fall on those same things that, that they did before. You want to have a heart that is fully saying yes, not maybes, not no's. Yes, God, I'm your child. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I want to be pure like you are purify me. David said this goes with our hearts and it goes with our hands. 
And if you, one of the byproducts of having a, a, a pure and reset heart is you reject impurity. Whenever it comes around you, you start drawing, you stop it, you push it away, you draw away from it. You say, I'm not going to let that because that brought me the junk that I had before. So the first thing that David points to is clean hands and a pure heart. Write this one down. What would be another byproduct of a reset heart? Those with reset hearts trust in Jesus alone. You don't trust in idols. You don't trust in other things. You, you would re, with, a, with a true reset, you would say, God, I want to go back to yes to you. You are God, and I want to be dependent on you, not on me, not on my dreams, plans, and aspirations. I want to trust in you. The Bible says, who, do not tr- who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. So here's the question. What or who are you trusting in? In the opening video, it was, it, the statement was made that oftentimes we trust in ourselves a lot, right? Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your bank account? Are you trusting in your 401k? Are you trusting in your health? Are you trusting in your intellect? Some of us would even need to point to a different person and say, we're trusting in them or an idea. Here's the, if you really have a reset today, those with resets hearts go back to a true and authentic trust in Jesus. Jesus, I want to call you Lord because what that means is that, is that I'm your servant. You are master. I trust you. I don't trust in false God. I don't trust in false ideologies. I don't trust in myself. I trust in you. Three byproducts of a reset heart. You reject impurity because you've been reset. You trust in Him, not in you, not in other things. You get an authentic trust back to Him. And then look at this third one. Those with reset hearts seek His face. He said, this is the generation who will seek Him, who will seek your face. Those with reset hearts, when you'll look differently this week because you will be seeking His face more than you did last week, you'll be reset back to where you were. Now, what do you mean by that, Stephen? I like to think of it this way. You can't seek the face of God and come into God's presence face to face. You can't come. I'm looking at Jerry here. And Jerry, you're not God, I know. But, uh, but I, think, of, think of what it means to be face to face, to look into the eyes of another person, to look at that person. David was saying, who can do this? Who can seek the face of God? And I can tell you this. You can't look into the face of God and not be aware of your impurity. You can't look into the face of God and not know where you're raising up idols and him not know it. And here's what I want to tell you. You can't look at the face of God and be living in the land of maybes, living in duplicity. Some people call this hypocrisy. You say one thing, you live a totally different way. And here's what I want to tell you. If you were reset this morning, you're reset back to your original place. You're not meant to live in secrets. You're not meant to live in fakeness. You're not meant to live in hypocrisy. You know what you're meant to live in? In the authentic person that God made you to be. You're not living with excuses. You're not living with blames. You're actually seeking His face, and you just want to be real. I call it authentic. You want to seek His face for who you are. By the way, that's not a beautiful thing. You're just a sinner, and you've been saved by grace, right? So you want to seek his face. There's a lot of vulnerability in that, right? 
See, I believe people who are reset, watch this. I believe people who are reset, David gave, us, David gave us a picture. They look differently this week because they see the world in different hues and they see impurity out there and they say, God, I, I want to stay away from that. I want to be pure. I want to have a pure heart and a pure mind. They look different in the sense that they, they, they reject trust in other things and they run to God as, as, as provider. And then they look and whenever there's duplicity or double-mindedness in their soul, whenever they're playing games with people and Look, you know, trying to look pretty or look nice or, or, or look their best in front of somebody else. They lay all that junk down. And they just say, I want to seek God's face. Thus is the generation who seek his face. You know what? I'm going to be as real as I can be with you. While I've been talking this morning and I've been sharing this, I don't, I don't know what your reset is. I don't know, and I can't press that button for you. But God has called me to be the bearer of good news to you. You want some fabulous good news? Here's the good news in Jesus Christ. In the same way that Jesus looked at hurting people and he said, Come to me, all you who are weary, come to me. He's still doing the same thing today. And he wants the best for you. He doesn't want the slow dragging you, the one who's still loading, still loading, still loading. He doesn't want the one who can't operate well. Scott, he wants you to be the best dad you can be. And in order for you to be the best dad you can be, it means sometimes you've got to be reset. And all the filters and all the cookies and all the junk's got to be pushed away. And you've got to be rebooted in him. To be a pure father. To be a father that doesn't trust in idols. Who trusts completely in him. Pure faith. And to be a father who doesn't play games and doesn't live in hypocrisy. But a father who is real and seeking his face every day. It is transformative. It is powerful. And here's the greatest news of all. It's his plan for you. His plan is for you to live in an abundant life. His plan is not that you would be struggling. You know what it's like? I know what it's like to struggle in life. Oh, man. Oh, this is tough. I know what that's like. But can I tell you, when you really are reset, it's freeing. It's like, wow. You take off the weight of that old junk, and you're able to perform and live and breathe and operate and function in the way God crafted you to be function. This is the good news. And I would say to you, it's a great blessing. So, so I don't know who's helping me this morning. Would somebody build our prayer wall? Would you guys do that real quickly? If you have those gold sheets of paper, can I just ask you to put that on your lap? Maybe some of you have been writing on them already. I, I don't know. I'm going to invite you, if you have been, just to pause for a minute and just take out that little gold sheet of paper. And here's the question I want to ask you today. What would it look like for you what would it look like? I'll take that from you, Nikki. What would it look like for you to have a reset heart and a reset faith today? What would it look like for you What would your prayer be? Jesus reset my Here's what I want to invite you to do. 
when you have that prayer and you want to pray that prayer, I want to invite you just to come and pray it on this reset wall. And every week, here's the deal. I'm going to meet you at the reset wall because I got, I got stuff I need resetting too, okay? I'm going to meet you at the reset wall. And then this week, once you've allowed God to reset th- that thing in your life, to live a life where you are remembering Psalm 24, reject impurity, don't trust in false gods, seek his face. This is my generation. I will seek his face. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, in the next few minutes, people are going to be writing prayers down and they're going to be bowing their knees and they're going to be putting these reset prayers in this prayer wall. And and here's what I know. You're the only one who can reset us. If we could reset us, we would have done it a long time ago. You're the one who can reset us. So today, we reject our own ideas and our own uh, decisions, our own solutions. We've tried to be in control so much that we get it all upside down. And today we want to reject all the no's and all the maybes that we've said. And we want to say yes to you. We want to say yes to your lordship, to your leadership, to your guidance, to your forgiveness. We want you to raise us up anew. But in order for us that to happen, we need a reset. So come, push our button, filter out the junk, forgive us for our unrighteousness, reset our priorities, reestablish us, tune us back to see. And I pray in the name of Jesus you would meet every person who fills out that sheet, that you'd meet them, you'd touch them, you'd raise them up anew. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, fill out that sheet. Come and join me. I'll meet you at the reset wall. Let's be reset together.